This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to your word this morning, we ask that in your grace, you would open our eyes to see you and our ears to hear you. And Father, as we remember the incarnation of your Son, fill our hearts with joy everlasting. Amen. Words are powerful. In normal non-COVID times, I love getting together with my family and friends, especially during the holidays. And as much as we enjoy great food and playing games around the table, probably the thing we do that is most important, most significant, is we talk. In fact, the conversations may begin early in the morning with a cup of coffee and end well into the night. And we do this because we want to catch up. Right? I want to know how my siblings are doing. I want to know how their college classes are or how work has been, how their families are doing, what their church has been up to. I want to know them and they want to know me. And so we talk. Words let us know what is going on in the thoughts and the hearts of another. They make that person known to us in a way that nothing else can. We can observe someone's actions and know that they're feeling angry or happy or maybe even insecure, but unless that person is willing to say how they're feeling or what they're thinking, you can really only know so much. In Luke 6, Jesus goes as far as to say that our words pour out of the abundance of our heart. Another way to say that is words reveal the heart. So in order to know someone, in order to know someone's heart, we talk. But what does John mean when he calls Jesus the word of God? And what is it that this word reveals to us? In what may be one of the most awe-inspiring introductions to a book ever written, John writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, it's interesting to see how John goes about sharing this story, because he was one of the twelve disciples. He had already known that Matthew and Mark and Luke had been written, He knew which parts of the story of Jesus' birth had already been told. But here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Jesus' intimate friend John now peels back the curtain and reveals something profound to us. This little baby who was born in a manger is in fact the eternal word of God, full of grace and truth. He was and is the word spoken by the Father through which all things were made and by which all things have life. He was with God the Father for all of eternity, and he is, in fact, God himself. 
Yet what are we to make of this title, the Word of God? Many agree that this this title for Jesus carries a ton of nuance and significance. But perhaps the most helpful way for us to think about this this morning is to again think about the way that our words or the role that our words play in our relationships. We use our words to make ourselves known to one another. And while our words are distinct from us, they are not separate for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In the same way, Jesus is the very self-disclosure, the very self-revelation of the Father. Yes, he's distinct from the Father, and yet he is one with the Father. He's the very embodiment of all that his Father is. And that's why John can write in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He He being the word has made him known. And this is why later in John's gospel, Jesus himself can answer Philip's question, Lord, show us the Father by saying, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Out of the overflow of his heart, God has spoken. He has spoken and he has made himself known. And in the very act of speaking, we see that it is God's heart, that it is his desire, that it is his longing to be known by us. In verse 14, John illustrates this and says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This also could be translated, he set up his tent among us. He tabernacled among us tabernacle. That's significant, right? John's reference to the tabernacle would, have, would not have been lost on his readers. It is meant to propel us back into the Old Testament story where God instructed the Israelites to erect this tent, to build this tent, and anywhere they would camp, they would set up the tent, and the very presence of God would come and fill the tent, And the Israelite people would know, God is here. God is with us. But while the people could see that God was present in their midst, they also knew that to enter into the Holy of Holies, to actually enter into the very presence of God, was impossible. That for us as sinful people, to enter in before a holy God would surely mean death. But now, but now John is declaring to us that Jesus has come, that God himself has come and entered our very presence, our very humanity. And this is breathtaking because knowing that we could not enter into his presence, the Holy One, the eternal God, the great I Am, has entered into our presence as one of us. And why? Why has he done this? Because he wants to be known 
and he wants to know us. He wants us to know him, and in that knowing, to share in his light and in his life. And this is why every Christmas we can sing these words, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, Jesus God with us. Let us not just rush past these words, pleased, pleased. It brought him pleasure to dwell with us, to become one of us, pleased to make himself known to us. Now, as if our text were not shocking enough, we read in verses 10 and 11, he was in the world and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The very word of God, the very light and life of the world came to save us and we rejected him. But, but in the midst of our darkest moment, in the midst of humanity's worst, the God who was pleased to speak did not leave us in our obstinate rebellion. He did not leave us in our sin. Rather, we read in verse 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What he's saying here is it's not our bloodline that saves us, nor is it our human striving. It's not our superior moral code or our superior self-control. It's not our rationality or even our human will, our human desire to know God. No, 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 no. On our own, we fail to receive him. We are the ones who have rejected him. And so hear this, the very fact that we can know God and can experience his love for us, that is a gift of his grace. A great analogy that I, I believe began with Augustine was to imagine us as, as sinful humans, as sinful humanity, just bent in upon ourselves, hunched over, staring at our own stomachs, refusing to look upward. And yet God, in his infinite grace and his infinite love, has taken us by the chin, has offered to lift our heads, to, to straighten our backs, to set our eyes upon him. That is the kind of grace we're talking about this morning. It is in grace that God has spoken through his son, the word, and it is by grace that we are given ears to hear. It is by grace that we are given eyes to see. It's grace upon grace upon grace. And why has he done this? It's because God wants to be known by us and he wants to know us. He wants to receive us and be received by us. He wants us. And like I said to the children, he wants you. 
Now, perhaps this message is nothing new to you. Maybe you know that God has spoken. You know that God wants to be known by you. This is stuff that you have actually known since you were a child. And if that's you, that is wonderful. That's actually my own experience. And yet, if I'm honest, I also know how much I need to hear and receive this message again and again and again. In fact, I need to meditate on this daily. So if you're like me, what do we do? What do we do? Well, first, we need simply to slow down and allow this message to to overwhelm us, to saturate our hearts. We, We need to slow down and just reflect upon it. And there's lots of ways that we can do this. Uh, Mother Andrea actually taught me a great one that I use almost every day now, and that's this. It's to light a candle. To sit on the couch or to sit in a chair, to light a candle, and to recognize and remember that Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the light of the world, is there with me. And not only is He there with me, but He wants to know me, and He wants me to be known, or, and he wants to be known by me, sorry. All it is is simply slowing down and allowing that to wash over us. Another way that we can do this, and that we do this as a church each week, is the Eucharist. Every time that we partake in the bread or the cup, or we participate in the prayer for spiritual communion during COVID times, We are remembering and we are declaring to ourselves and to one another that not only has Christ given of himself on the cross for us, but he is daily giving of himself for us. Whatever whatever it might be, we need to slow down and we need to believe these truths. We need to believe this reality. But there is another reality that we should not miss in our text this morning. Yes, the Word of God does speak to us. He does offer us His light and His life. But He does not offer it to us alone. No, the love of God, the love of the triune God, for all eternity has been a self-giving, outward-moving love. This is why God not only longs to speak to us, but He longs to speak through us. This Advent season, we've reflected a great deal on John the Baptist between Jess's sermon two weeks ago and Father Jonathan's sermon last week, and we see him referenced again here in John 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, interestingly enough, Many believe that St. John here is not only writing of John the Baptist, but that he's writing of John the Baptist and himself. Both men named John, both men whom God spoke to, and both men who God spoke through, so that all may believe. Words are powerful, the Word of God is powerful. And we, as his body, as his church, have been called to continue in the legacy of John the Baptist and of St. John. 
We are to continue to tell others of the God who has spoken, of the God who desires to know them and be known by them. And we, as his body here on earth, we are to speak. We are to speak words, his words of grace and truth, his words of love, his words of light and of life. And we are to speak so that all may believe. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the depth of your love and for making yourself known to us. Lord God, let the reality of who you are and of who we are in you so fill our hearts that we not only rest in your love, but that out of the abundance of that love, we too would speak of you and of your love to all of those around us. Amen.